0: As you know, um, over the past several weeks, we have been going through John chapter 1. And what an amazing turn of events John chapter 1 is. You know, John tells us that in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and, and the Word was God. In the very beginning, the Word has always been there, He was always there from the very beginning. Since the beginning of creation, the word was always there. The word was always there, and and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Creation, when creation started, when everything happened in creation, it was him. He was there when things were made. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing that has been made would have been made. Uh, He is life. Life. And in that life, there's light. And guess what? The true light has come. The Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. We've seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son who comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the light has come into the world. The problem is the world didn't recognize Him. He came into the world, and the world didn't recognize him. His own people, whom he was sent into, his own people, chose not to believe. They didn't receive him. matter of fact, his own people yelled, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And yet those who did believe were given the right to become children of God. Not children born of natural descent or human decision or husband's will, but born of God. He is the light that has come into this world, who has become flesh and made his dwelling among us. And because of that, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Because the law was there with Moses, but guess what? Jesus brings grace and truth. And what a turn of events we see in John chapter 1. And we've been talking about the last several weeks getting our hearts prepared and being ready for this holiday season because we know that this holiday season there's going to be all these things thrown in our face about what the holidays are really all about why the holidays are so important and we've forgotten the real reason why the holidays are so important and so we've been talking about how do we prepare our hearts for that well this morning we wrap this series up by finishing in john chapter one and then this text this morning, we're going to see two stories, two stories that give us a couple of great reminders on how our response should be, not just this holiday season, but all the time, all year round, our response to the light, the, the, the word, what our response should be. And so our first story is going to be in John chapter 1, verse 19. John chapter 1, verse 19. And as you're turning there, we're going to go ahead and start in verse 19. In verses 19 through 21, it tells us this Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, No. and so we see the religious leaders the jewish leaders send some uh priests and levites to to find out who john is and in john chapter one all we see uh, we see in uh, verse six there was a man sent from god whose name was john he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe he himself was not the light he came only as a witness to the light The other gospels tell us more about John, John the Baptist. Mark 1, 4, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In Luke chapter three, verse three, he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew chapter three, verses five and six, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. For so long there had been silence. Nobody had heard from God. God hadn't spoke. God hadn't said anything for such a long time. And yet all of a sudden God has put his plan into motion. And the angels appeared before Mary and Joseph, Elizabeth, saying this is what's going to take place. And here we are all of a sudden. John the Baptist appears and he starts preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And because of this, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, they're, they're curious. They want to know who this man is. And rightfully so, these religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, they were the, I guess in a way, the gatekeepers of Judaism. They were the, the key figures. They were the ones who were the protector of the faith. And so they wanted to know who this man was. Notice here if you will. None of the actual uh, leaders come, so they might have thought, oh, well, there needs to, we need to find out what's going on, but maybe in their mind it wasn't big enough to actually go out themselves. And so they come and they ask him, who are you? And he did not fail to confess. John did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. He let him know right from the beginning. I am not the messiah i know why you ask but i am not the messiah this word messiah it means in hebrew the anointed one which in greek is translated as the christ the messiah had been promised but john tells them i am not the messiah and so they say who are you then are you elijah it had been prophesied that someone would come like elijah in malachi chapter 4 verse 5 See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day the Lord comes. His answer, I am not. He came in the power and the spirit of Elijah, but no, he is not Elijah. And so they ask him then, are you the prophets? Are you the prophet? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses says that there would be a prophet who would come. In Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So are you the prophet? No, John replies. Notice how he responds here. First, it's, I am not the Messiah. Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? No. His answers get shorter and shorter until finally he just says, No, I am not or any of these people that leads us to verses 22 and 23 it says finally they said who are you give us an answer to take back to those who sin us what do you say about yourself and so he responds john replied in the words of isaiah the prophet i am the voice of one calling in the wilderness make straight the way for the lord so who are you who are you If you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, give us an answer. We've got to tell them something. We can't go all the way back and say, he didn't tell us who he is. So who are you? And he replies from Isaiah 40, verse 3, where this comes from. I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. You see, this was... His task, John the Baptist's task, his job, his mission, the thing that he was sent to do, his whole purpose was this to be a voice. My job is simply this to be a voice, to make straight the way for the Lord. His job was to prepare the hearts of the people, his job was to make it known that one was coming, the word was coming, he was coming soon, and he was already here. My job is to be a voice to the one who is coming. I am a voice for the word. And so the text continues in verses 24 through 27. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me the straps of whose sandals i am not worthy to untie we see the pharisees there's a few pharisees here that had been sent along with the the priest and the levites and so now they question him. the pharisees were an extremely legalistic sect of judaism they were incredibly scholarly but they had all of these oral traditions that they created uh, or they had all these oral traditions, but they created a ton of extra laws to avoid breaking any of the laws of Moses. Think about that. They created laws to help them avoid breaking laws. It doesn't make any sense. It just seems like that would be a burden. But yet, that's what they did. All these laws that they created to make sure that they didn't break the law of Moses, and, they, and then they would look for all these loopholes after they created all these laws. And so they ask, then why do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And you see, they're asking this question not because they're curious about baptism. Baptism was already known uh, by the people in this region as a symbol of repentance. Converts to Judaism would sometimes be baptized. So they were aware of what baptism was. This isn't a question of baptism. What they're wanting to know is, who are you? Who are you to baptize? Under what authority do you have to baptize? You are not the Messiah. You are not Elijah. You are not the prophet. Who are you to baptize? Who do you think you are? You have no authority. And so John responds. You see, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. You know, John is preparing the way, and he's baptizing with water. But guess what? There was something greater still to come. And while he baptized with water, we know that Jesus is, was a Baptist, or baptism of the spirits. But notice what John says here. There's one who's already here. You don't know him. But guess what? He's the one who comes after me, and his, the straps of his sandals I'm not worthy to untie. I'm not even worthy to do the lowest job to take off somebody's sandals to wash their feet. I'm not worthy to do that because this man is great. This one who has come in, he is so great. I'm not even worthy to do the lowest of jobs. Fast forward and what does Jesus do? Takes the lowest job and washes his disciples' feet. And I'm not worthy to do this And so we see this first story John's testimony of who he is Now we're going to move over to Verse 43 Verse 43 And in verse 43 and 44 It tells us this it says the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee Finding Philip he said to him Follow me Philip like Andrew and Peter Were from the town of Bethsaida So we don't really see a whole lot here about Philip Jesus decides to leave for Galilee He finds Philip and he tells him to follow me There's some interesting things here about Philip Philip was a Greek name Uh, Him and Andrew are the only two of the disciples that have a Greek name Which may be the reason when you see in John chapter 12 20 and 22 When some Greeks come up to Philip and seek audience with Jesus they go to Philip Somebody with a Greek name. But it's likely Philip was a friend of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who were all called the day before. We see Peter called in John chapter 1 and verses uh, 35 through 42, that section. In Mark chapter 2 16 through 20, we see uh, James, John, the other uh, disciples called. We don't get to see much of Philip's decision to follow. Why, what made him follow, it's likely that he heard from his friends about Jesus before Jesus came to him. Maybe his friends told Jesus about Philip. We don't see that. But what we see next is the faith of Philip to say, I believe, and then what he does after that. And it tells us that like Andrew and Peter, Philip was from the town of Bethsaida, Now, I think I've got a picture up here of uh, Matt. There you go. Bethsaida was on the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. It was near Capernaum, and it would have been under the territory of Herod Philip. So that's what we see here. Not a whole ton about Philip, but just a little bit. And then we go into verses 45 and 46. And it says this, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophet also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip finds Nathanael and he tells him, hey, guess what? We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law. First, let's talk about Nathanael. Let's talk about Nathanael. Nathanael was a fisherman and John chapter 21 verse 2 points out that at least seven of the twelve disciples were fishermen. I, I always think that's interesting. Why, why fishermen? Why did he call these people, these fishermen, to uh, follow him? Well, think about fishermen in, in this day and even today. Uh, they're hard workers. They're durable. They're practical. Man, they work hard. And if you're going to have people following you and, and sharing the gospel, don't you want it to be people who work hard? They're practical. They're durable. You see, there's a lot of uh, misconceptions about fishermen in, in Jesus' day. You know, they're often seen as ignorant, right? They weren't educated. They weren't the smartest people. And, and so a lot of times we think of the fishermen were just dumb, uneducated people, which wasn't the case. They were not ignorant, dumb people. But an advanced education was not required for the job that they did. That doesn't mean that they weren't smart. That doesn't mean they were ignorant. I like how BibleRef.com puts it. It says, Serving God is first and foremost about willingness, not great talent or ability. Knowledge, wisdom, and experience are very important but none of them are worth anything without a willing and submissive heart. And you see, they were willing. They were had a submissive heart. And so, Philip to Nathaniel, hey, we found the one that Moses wrote about and the prophets wrote about. Moses wrote about it, and we talked about it a little bit and earlier in Deuteronomy 18. Well, in Deuteronomy 18, 18 through 19, Moses writes the words of the Lord. Says, "I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words." that the prophet speaks in my name. Moses wasn't the only one who wrote about this. The other prophets uh, wrote about this. Daniel chapter seven, verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man come in with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old from ancient times. We found him. we found the one we found the one that Moses and the prophets have talked about. And Nathaniel's response is this: Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Man, very pointed question that Nathaniel asked, and this is interesting because there's never been anything on record that showed the Galileans despised Nazareth and so Uh, maybe there's a little bit of a, a civic rivalry there that Nathaniel's bringing up, but we don't really see that. Probably it's more likely that Nazareth was so small, they say possibly less than 500 people during Jesus' day. It wasn't near any major cities. And so Nazareth just wasn't very important. It was a small dot on the map. Not very important, so maybe He's sarcastic here, knowing that Nazareth wasn't very important in their minds, so it wouldn't make any sense for the Savior to come from there. If the Savior is going to come from somewhere, shouldn't he come from someplace big? Shouldn't he come from someplace important? What good comes from Nazareth? Nathaniel asked. And I love Philip's response. Come and see. He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't say, hey, no, wait, that's not true. Don't, don't. He just says, just come and see. That's all I'm asking. Come and see. And so that leads us into verses 47 through 49. And it says, When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked. Well, Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And a lot of stuff happens in these verses. So he goes and Jesus sees Nathaniel approaching him and he says, "Here is truly, or here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Jesus says, here is one who is honest. He's straightforward. He's truthful. There is no deceit in him. He is an honest man. He's not a perfect man, of course, but he is an honest man. And you know, Maybe you're like me. sometimes you read Scripture over and over and over, and yet there's always things that maybe you don't catch or maybe things you've never thought about. Never given it much thought until this week, as I was studying and, and reading commentary. It almost seems like Jesus is possibly making a, a little gentle rebuke here at, at Nathaniel. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Who is an Israelite, a descendant of? The nation of Israel. Who is Israel? Well, there is a man who is renamed Israel, a man named Jacob. A man named Jacob whose name is synonymous with deceit. I mean, Esau says this in Genesis twenty-seven thirty-six. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing? For me, Jacob's name literally means he grasped the hill. You know the story of Jacob holding on to the hill of Esau. His name means he grasped the hill, which is a Hebrew idiom for he deceives. Hmm. And so, Jacob was known for deception, but yet, Jacob is a key figure in God's plan of salvation, and he is renamed Israel. Interesting. Could it be a little gentle rebuke of, don't say, you know, what good can come from Nazareth, because think about the man whose name is Israel and what his past was, and look at who he is now. Interesting. Interesting never given thought to that until I read it in commentaries this week and I was like oh that kind of makes sense and so he says here is truly an Israel whom there is no deceit and Jesus says or Nathaniel says how do you know me this could actually also be translated as what do you know about me anyways and so almost he's asking "Uh, how do you know anything about me Who do you know? How do you know who I am? What what possibly do you know about me? And Jesus answers, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I saw you where you were sitting. I saw you sitting under that fig tree. You know, Jesus could have just been guessing, right? jesus could have just simply been guessing that this is where nathaniel was i mean it wasn't uncommon for people to rest under the dense leaves of a fig tree and meditate on the torah it was also known as a symbol for the nation of israel and the messiah and the scriptures and so it could have just been a guess that jesus is making but man that would have been a really good guess wouldn't it have been no i think what we see here is this divine knowledge of christ Because when he says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, I don't think he was just talking about physical. I don't think he was just saying, I saw you physically sitting there. No, I think you also, I think we can say that Jesus saw who he was too. He saw his desire to see the Messiah. I think he he sees not just what's on the outside, I think he also saw what was on the inside. I I think with his divine knowledge, I, I think of the woman at the well, Right? He knew her sins. He, he knew what she had done. And we see this divine knowledge. I'm sit- he was sitting underneath this fig tree. And so it's enough for Daniel or Nathaniel to change from earlier saying, what good can come from Nazareth to asking, how do you even know who I am to now calling him rabbi? Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Rabbi, it's a word that means honorable sir or master. You are an honorable sir, you are a master, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus responds in verses 50 and 51. He says, Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus tells him, guess what? You believe because I tell you I saw you under a fig tree, but guess what? You're going to see greater things than these. Yeah, I think this is Jesus saying, guess what? You ain't seen nothing yet. You, you think that's a, just wait, there's more. And you read through the New Testament and you see these things that he's talking about, right? We see miracle after miracle that Jesus performed from raising the dead back to life and walking on water and so many other things that he did. And all of these miracles that he performed, they weren't just performed for the sake of being performed. No, they backed up who he was. These miracles helped back up the message and prove who he was. You'll see greater things in these. And then he adds, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. Going back to Jacob again in Genesis 28, 12 through 14, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth With its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You You will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. You see, Jesus is the connection between heaven and earth. You will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In a way, this is Nathaniel's Bethel. But here we go, we see the Son. It will be ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself. 76 times Jesus uses this title for himself, the Son of Man. And so here we are. We have two stories. First, we see the story of John the Baptist and his testimony on who he was. And then we see this story of Jesus calling Philip and Nathaniel. And I I think there's two things that stand out to me in these stories that we need to remember, not just right now, but all year long. And the first one is this. We need to point people to Jesus. We need to point people Jesus to Jesus man that was John's task wasn't it my job my mission my task what I am here for is to simply be a voice that points to the word and he took that message seriously that was my job that was my task to point people to him and get out of the way it's not about me it's not about what I'm saying it's about the word that's my job and it's so different than the religious leaders is it not Man, they wanted to be seen. They wanted, to see, or they wanted people to see them praying. They wanted people to see them speaking. They wanted to be out in front, the, the center of everything. The religious leaders wanted this. And yet, we know that this is not our task. No, our task is simply this, to point people to Jesus and the way we live our lives and the, and the things that we say and the conversations that we have to point people to Jesus and then get out of the way. It's not about who's standing where. It's, not, it's about pointing people to him. That's our job, not just during the holiday season, which is a good time to proclaim the gospel it's a good time, while we see all these things around us in the, the commercialism, it's a good time to say, let me tell you what this really means. But all year round, our job should be to proclaim and point people to Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 2, and I love how it's worded in the uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible. It says this, Proclaim the message. Persist in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke. Correct and encourage with great patience and teaching. Proclaim the message. Persist in it, whether convenient or not. Whether it's convenient in the moment or not, proclaim the message in how you live your life and the things you say and the conversations you have. Your job should be to point people to him. That's our task. That's our mission. And if it ever becomes about us, then we're doing it wrong. It's to point people to him. I think the second thing that we need to remember is this. We need to remember the greatness of Christ. We need to remember the greatness of Christ. This holiday season, what it really, actually, truly means is the birth of our Savior. The law was, it was, it was a burden. It was a shackle. We needed something that the law could not provide. We needed salvation. And in this, God sending his Son... this is the meaning of the season this is the reason for the holiday season but it's really not is it not when you look at the world around us that's not what you see on TV that's not what you see on the commercials that's not what you see in the movies that's not what you see when you go shopping that's not what Christmas is no Christmas is all about gift giving the lights the movies I want to read some stats that I thought were pretty interesting. And this is just from over the last couple of years, some different sites. In 2021, the overall holiday spending in the U.S. reached $886.7 billion. The expected average holiday spending in 2022 will reach 1,802 per person. Holiday sales November through January are projected to total 1.45 to 1.47 trillion in 2022. Holiday spending has increased by 45% over the last decade. On Black Friday, Black Friday online shopping sales hit 8.9 billion. Nearly 43% of Black Friday sales happened through mobile phones. Amazon accounted for 17.7 of all Black Friday sales. Here's this, the average adult spent $430 during the shopping events. Cyber Monday, it's a big thing now. In 2020, Cyber Monday reached $10.8 billion, making it the biggest e-commerce selling day of all time. During the peak hour of Cyber Monday 2020, which was 8 p.m. to 9 p.m., sales reached $12 million per minute. Now listen to these stats. of Americans took on holiday debt in 2021 up from 31% in 2020. Borrowers owe an average of $1,249 due to holiday debt. Parents with children younger than 18 were most likely to acquire this. Lesser than millennials. But here's the thing, these two groups borrowed an average of $1,462. And Truth be told, I don't know how much of this is factoring into the decorations and food for mills, but if it is, you add all that in too. And we've spent a ton of money during the holidays. And here's the thing. I want to be very clear when I say this this morning. I'm not telling you don't buy gifts for your family. I'm not telling you don't hang up Christmas lights. I'm not telling you don't have a tree in your house. I'm not telling you don't watch Christmas movies what I'm telling you is this we've replaced this season with what it really means we've replaced this season the what it really means with some commercialized copy that it's fake it's a fake copy of what this season is really supposed to mean we have forgotten to remember the greatness of Christ and here's the thing Jesus tells Nathaniel guess what you're going to see greater things and guess what because of the availability we have of the Word, the availability we have to read the Gospel, we can read the Gospel in print or on our phones. We have the picture of all these things that took place. We see the teaching. We see the miracles. We get to hear and read Jesus' Word. We see how great He is. And all the things that it says about Him, we have reason to praise Him. He is worthy of our praise. And this holiday season, it should be about him and what he has done. It's it's about what God has done for us, not this thing that we've turned it into. Because here's the thing. He is greater than any gift that you will get under your tree this Christmas. He is greater than any gift that you will receive Anytime. He is the greatest gift we could have ever asked for. Do you want to know why? Because, like I said, we have this, this better picture than what Nathaniel had. I don't think Nathaniel even thought for a second all of the things that he would truly see. But we get to see those things, and guess what? We get to see what happens later. John three sixteen For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave his one one and only son. He sent him to the cross to die for the forgiveness of our sins so that we who believe in him, if you believe in him, you could have eternal life. And Romans 5.8 tells us how. That God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up this morning. And as they do, Maybe you're here this morning and, and you've never received that gift. You've never received that gift. This Christmas, you may have gifts under your tree. This Christmas, you may receive something you think is, is a great thing, and that's cool, but here's the thing. It's not, it's not as great as any... No gift that we'll get will ever be as great as the gift that we get from God in His Son. The one who came, who lived, who died on the cross, who was raised again... Us. And so this morning, if you're here and you've never received that gift, you can do so. And you can write it on your Connect card. You can come talk to me. I'd love to talk with you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've just got sucked up in the things that the world has been trying to tell you what this season really means. But man, what the media tells you, what the things we see on TV, all that stuff, that's not the reason. It's a carbon copy. It's a fake copy of what the season truly means. And maybe you're here and you've got sucked up into that and what you need to do this morning, you just need to go before God and lay these things down at his feet. God, help me to remember the reason for the season. It's not anything material. No, it's, it's not all about the lights, it's the presents or the movies or anything like that. No, it's all about what you've done for us. this morning, I would encourage you to remember these two things, not just right now, but all year round. Remember to point people to Jesus in your conversations, in the way you live, the way you act, the things you say and do. Point people to him and then get out of the way. And then remember the greatness of Christ who he is, what he has done, the things he has said and done. Remember the reason for the season. It's not any of those other things. It's him. And so if you're here this morning, if you have a decision to make, if you need to spend time praying, please do so as we stand and we sing. (laughs)